listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho and Sam Collier. On today's show, we will be looking at the work of Sarah Rule as part of our Playwright of the Month series. Born January 24th, 1974, Sarah Rule is an American playwright, professor, and essayist. She has been the recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship and the Penn Laura Pell's International Foundation for Theater Award for Distinguished American Playwright in Mid-Career. Two of her plays have been finalists for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, and she received a Tony Award nomination for Best Play. In 2020, she adapted her play Eurydice into the libretto for, I don't know how to say this name. Do you, Sarah? This opera. A coin. Yeah. His opera of the same name. Um, And then in 2015, she published a collection of essays, 100 essays that I don't have time to write. I love that book. Mm -hmm. Um, And her play for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday premiered at Actors Theater of Louisville's Humana Festival of New American Plays. Um, And she currently serves on the faculty of the Yale School of Drama. So we're going to talk about three of her plays as we do in this series. Uh, We read Melancholy Play, which was written in 2001, The Clean House from 2004, and For Peter Pan from 2016-2017. So um, should we start with First Impressions? First impressions, um, her birthday is January 24th. She's an Aquarius. So that's interesting. Why do you think um, that was so important to uh, put that in her bio, Sarah? Um, I don't know. I just think uh, people's signs could be interesting, you know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of serial killers are Virgo. Is that um, true? Yes. Oh, I just I remember looking. There was there was this whole oh list gosh. of every serial known killer in America, and they put their sign. And most common was like Virgo, um, and oh my god, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember the other one. Maybe Scorpio. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like there are no cancer serial killers. It would just be impossible. Not yet. Like, caring and loving. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, so first impressions of these plays. Um, one, I loved every single one of them that we read. Um, and I also noticed just the language. Like, she writes so um, – what's the best word? Like, economically? Like, mm. it was – like, I got – every line there was, it was packed with so much being said. Like, I, could, I understand – everything like wow um i between the lines i totally understand what was going on and um and she's so funny like they're all really funny she's a mm-hmm. really funny person <laughs> um yeah yeah i agree and i like what you say about how each line has so much meaning and weight inside of it because i feel so much open space around mm. the language like it's like the language itself is very full and dense, but then she doesn't over explain or right. she doesn't over describe. There's just a lot of room um, around the dialogue for mm-hmm. the actors and the production team to create 
their version of the story and um yeah I just love that I remember reading once that she really dislikes a lot of people describe her work as quirky and she really (laughs) dislikes that (laughs) so she explain why I think she did I think she um thought I hope I'm not misremembering but I think she thought it was kind of um condescending Mm. and and that people really only would use that term to describe the writing by a female playwright and so it seemed a little bit sexist too um Hmm. that's interesting because I've been called quirky I've been called quirky a lot you have yeah now I'm wondering (laughs) I think your writing is so much more fierce than quirky oh thanks I feel like people say quirky when they don't understand don't something things. and they mm. and they want to make it smaller mm. that's so interesting okay so remember last episode um the writer's resume you were saying that resume there's a lot more white space like mm. there's more space as makes confident mm-hmm. <laughs> which made me think of um all her plays i was reading it i was like wow she she has such a demand for the space and everything and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another thing I noticed about her plays. I know. And doesn't it make you wonder what kind of pr- writing process she goes through? Like, do you think she writes a lot and mm-hmm. then edits it down to be so perfect and spare? Oh. Or does she just not write that much to begin with? Like just every line that comes out is perfect. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe she knows the story. Like, mm. knows the story really well. Maybe she writes it all out. And then what kind of, what you just said, like, then really minimize what she said. But honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I remember I also wonder. a story about, I don't remember which play this was. It might have been Melancholy Play because there was a nurse. And the costume designer was making a name tag for the character and they asked her, they asked Sarah Rule, what's the last name of this character? Because we have to make a name tag. And she was like, the character doesn't have a last name. (laughs) She was like, like, she's a character. She just has a first name. And they said, well, can't you just make one up? And she said, no, she doesn't have a last name. (laughs) And and it was like, it seemed really representative of her writing that um, there's never more than there needs to be. Mm. so let's talk about melancholy play okay you were saying you love i love this play (laughs) i first experienced it on stage i saw it in 2018 at um the source theater in dc which was and it was a production by constellation theater company Mm. and um I knew nothing about it. I only knew it was called a, it was called Melancholy Play, a farce. And I saw it with my mom and her friend. And the, we all came out of the theater and they were like, that was weird. And I was like, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Um, in a good way. It's very weird in a good way. Um, so... Really quickly, so this play is about this character named Tilly, uh, and she's just sad. She doesn't know why, or like, and along the way, 
she meets these characters who are somehow just really drawn to her <laughs> for sadness. Um, and then, and then I don't know, they kind of fall in love with her. Like they mm-hmm. love, fall in love. And then all of a sudden, act two, like there's a switch where Tilly is no longer sad. She's really happy. And everyone has sort of lost interest in her. And then at the end, there's this like interesting magical moment <laughs> where uh, Francis turns into an almond and then it's like all trying to figure out why did she t- like, how can we turn change her back? Um, so there's that summary. <laughs> uh, but it's so funny because as we were talking before we started recording that I was like trying to really understand like really understand what this all means like mm-hmm. i was like really trying to force meaning to everything and because it felt something about this play felt like like an like an old fairy tale or something yes. like something <laughs> like about that where where i'm like you we don't know we can't justify why things are like you know they just sort of like it just happened things just just happen yeah there's like there's like a lesson to it but the things just happen like magically and you sort of um accept it because that's just the world of fairy tale i guess and so that's kind of how i felt the way it felt the way it was written it was like this fairy tale but i was I was so for I was forcing so much meaning to like everything. I was like, "What does this mean? What does almond represent?" <laughs> you know? I think that's why I love it so much. It's like, yeah, there's something about fairy tales. They have this kind of flatness to them. Like, there's everything is on the surface, um, and there's not really ulterior motives or hidden mm-hmm. subtext. It's just all right there. Yeah. And I love that. And and everyone in the play just is who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And they're so – they're so upfront about their sadness or happiness or infatuation <laughs> or jealousy. It's yeah. all just right there at the surface. Um, my favorite moment – that was just so funny to me was there's two characters, Frank and Francis. And as an audience, you learn that they were twins separated. <laughs> they were like living these two separate lives. Frank was in a uh, barbershop. No, no, not barbershop. He's he the a tailor, tailor and Francis, Francis is the, the um, hair, hair style, yeah. stylist. And, and they're just like living their two separate lives. But what's the commonality is that they both meet Tilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, like that was just so. I get that makes it maybe a farce. That really does because something about that. I'm like, how could they? I don't know. Like, that's why when they meet at the end, it's sort of a funny moment because mm-hmm. they're just like, like Tilly knew this information, or then she didn't even know this information, but knowing both of them, that's the information. Um, yeah, she's the kind of center of the play yeah. and everybody falls in love with her and kind of yeah. revolves around her and she connects everybody to everybody else. Um, what do you think about this idea that of somebody that's just so melancholy that people fall in love with her sadness? 
I, that's such a good question because that's I think that's what I was trying to understand. Like I thought this was a play about like depression, people, you know, friends mm-hmm. with severe depression, and you, I don't know, like I don't know, like don't know what sometimes you know in this situation you don't know how to make it better mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah um, or just thinking about that. Um, I was also thinking about, well, in the beginning, there's this whole preface about in our brain, like where the melancholy comes from or like this almond shape. What is it? Oh, yeah. Amygdala. Amygdala. And then I was just like thinking, okay, is is Tilly that? Is she this thing? <laughs> this <laughs> almond shaped thing? And then she causes someone to be turned into an almond? <laughs> Oh my god! And it was so funny. Was remember um, Frances loses her taste? Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Um, or smell? She loses or her smell, sense of smell. Smell. Yeah. And then oh, I'm trying to remember the this grotesque moment where oh no, they were like, "Let's eat the almond." Or like, oh, gosh, <laughs> Frances turns into an almond. We see, there's this progression of her losing sense of smell and something, and she turns into an almond and they're like should we just take a bite of her and she lives within us <laughs> I was like, oh. um there are just these moments like that that really they were jarring but yeah very playfully jarring like it was like um well because they make no sense they make yeah they make no sense but in the world, it makes sense. I want to read this exchange between Joan and Francis when mm. Francis is describing what she loves about Tilly. Um, <laughs> so Francis says, she's delicate. She could spend an entire afternoon filling a bowl with water and putting yellow flowers into the bowl. And Joan says, so she's a hard worker? <laughs> and Francis yeah. says, well, she's tired, but in this seductive way. And Joan says, I don't understand. And Francis <laughs> says, she makes her happiness into this sexy, unhappiness into this sexy thing. She throws herself onto couches. <laughs> I feel like that just kind of sums up this play, this mm-hmm. idea that somebody could be so sad and the way they see the world through that sadness is somehow really attractive to everybody around them but then what's so great about this play is that suddenly Tilly becomes happy and then Mm -hmm. they can't stand her and then they all become sad (laughs) I don't know I just love it um I don't know if I can say anything smart about this play yeah really appreciate it (laughs) yeah um interesting fact I was when I was looking up about this play and it was made into a musical. Guess who wrote the music? Oh, who? This person's name is Todd Almond. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this a real person? Yeah, it is. His name is wow. Todd Almond, who wrote, uh, the, I guess, the musical version of this. And I just thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the music really adds something. Because I remember when I was seeing it, you know, there's this cello player on stage the whole time. Oh, wow. And just playing sad cello music. Um, and that adds a lot to the experience, I think. Mm. 
All right. Let's move. Oh, I had a question. I had a question about this play before we move on to clean house. Yeah. Okay. Look, is it just me or is Tilly a life ruiner? <laughs> I had a different perspective. I was like, every person she encounters fall in love with her and then she just like, nah, no, thanks. Bye. Well, she can't, she's not responsible for them falling in love with her. Yeah, that's true. But And they just love her because she's sad. And then when she's happy, they don't love her anymore. Like, but she just like <laughs> But I don't know. Don't you think it's kind of selfish to just affect people that way? Well, she's doing it on purpose. She can't help it. Oh, she just God. looks out the window and talks about the light in the afternoon, and then people fall in love with her. Oh. <laughs> I, I love how the therapist falls in love with her. <laughs> I'm like, like yelling about his sadness, and she's like, are this, you supposed to be my therapist? Honestly, if this was a person in real life – <laughs> um, that came into my life. I'd just be like, wow, she's so uh, – um, oh, in Korean, there's this thing called n- nunchi. Like, mm-hmm. Did I ever talk to you about that? I or, don't think so. But nunchi is a thing that Koreans say when a person lacks a self-awareness. Like mm. they just – you know, like when you go to a party and like the host is like – Everyone's starting to leave and the host is like – you could tell like the host is kind of getting tired and you're like, so, you know, thanks for your hosting and you kind of exit. But then there are people who – don't read that and they're just like mm. they'll stay till like 4 a.m and the host is too like nice to say please go home <laughs> you know but like yeah. that person who just stays till 4 a.m like they don't have nunchi and then those things so that's why my first year i was like man this tilly person has no nunchi and of like the, the people around them well there is something about this kind of yeah this kind of melancholy that does feel very self-indulgent and self-absorbed Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like everybody in this play is self-absorbed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I don't think it's just I, her. I yeah, think no, the I people agree. who like fall in love with her, like yeah. um, Lorenzo, he's still self-centered. <laughs> I think he's my favorite. I love how he's just yeah. eating marzipan when he's supposed to be, right? You know, helping people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> now let's move on to clean house. Okay, clean house. I think clean house. This might have been my fourth time reading it, and I still think this is one. I think this is this play is so good. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't. Each time I read it, I'm, it's like I, I appreciate the the writing, um, how economic it is, and just like and funny, and this like it's so simple, but it ha- it's so it's. Um, deep with so much feeling the emotions about things um mm-hmm. but uh yeah so this play is <laughs> i found this word but maybe she didn't want, maybe sarah will, won't like it is a, a whimsical <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like whimsical is probably another one where she's like no thank you no no thank you um but it's centered around the the brazilian cleaning lady um who doesn't like cleaning houses because just and she, her goal her objective this entire time is like she wants to like find the perfect joke. Joke. Yeah, I um, love that. And her name is okay. So it's funny. Like people pronounce it Matilda or Matilde, but then it's like the Brazilian pronunciation is Machilgi, right? I think it's Machilgi with a soft Machilgi. Machilgi. Um, I think I don't Machilgi. know. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> so there's that like funny 
running joke of like her name. But um, yeah. So what did we notice? Oh, and so this have play, you ever seen yeah. this play or only read it? I only read it. I've never seen I've never it. Seen it. Yeah, this was my first time reading it too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, I loved so, it. I can't believe yeah. I hadn't read it before. Yeah, I thought you did for some reason. Okay. So, oh, also this play was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in 2005 and the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize in 2004. Um, so right off the bat, what did you notice? I just loved how humor could be both – could be something that saves you and also something that kills you. Like it was this double-edged mm. sword and um, Machilji's parents had both died because of this joke. Mm-hmm. But also it was – telling jokes was what she saw as kind of her – salvation or escape from this unhappiness that she feels um Mm -hmm. so i was yeah i was just really interested in in the unlike the last play it felt like in this play humor was really serious like Mm -hmm. a matter of life and death and um and and she uses the perfect joke that she thinks of as a way to help Anna die, which was really beautiful, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, this time around when I was reading it, that the joke at the end was for some reason more impactful for me. Um because I think I it's like the first time for me I noticed um Machilgi like trying to craft a joke like she's like you could tell she's like keep thinking there's this moment that there's all these scenes of just her kind of thinking like ah this is a joke oh no it's not mm-hmm. like you know you see her these moments by herself where she's like really figuring it out in her head and then she finds when she like when she discovers it she's like oh my gosh this is the joke like this is the joke um and so when she tells that joke which kills this person or Mm -hmm. to end her um, because she had cancer and she just wants to end her life. So um, like that was so like painfully satisfying because I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. like where did, how she's going to use this joke is to like help this person in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Also this time around, I don't know why, but I really was attached to the sister for some reason. Oh, Virginia. Virginia I I was like her monologue in the beginning I was like was she always like I don't know if I just caught it but it was the first time caught it, catching it but she's very like she's just says everything she just like says everything coming out of her mouth she just keeps running her mouth you know mm. like and she'll just go keep going ongoing um kind of no boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> just and so but something about her I was like I I don't know. I was like attached to her this time around when I was reading it. Yeah, I really liked her. She seemed really um, depressed. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. like she seemed really unfulfilled in her life, but maybe they all did. Mm-hmm. Um, except Charles and Anna. I, I have to say, I love the scene where they are. I, I love slash hated the scene 
where they're telling Lane their justification for getting together. Yes. And they're like, well, we're soulmates, so it's like it's well, totally were, justified. <laughs> you, you were using some like a Jewish um, yeah. I don't know, it's like a uh term, I don't know. But and then they're like, Are you Jewish? Like, no. Neither of us are Jewish. But they're like, they're using oh it as gosh. an excuse that they could be together. Like, cause it's but I thought that was just so funny. Like <laughs> Yeah. And so agonized. I, I feel like Sarah Rule, like somehow she finds she creates these moments on stage that are really painful and also really funny, but they're not heavy. They're kind of light. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know how she does it. Um like they're all having tea together this woman lean is having tea with her husband and the woman her husband's having an affair with and she's like she can't believe this is happening to her and yet somehow a few scenes later she's taking care of this woman in a really tender way and Mm -hmm. um it's just so beautiful yeah and in another play they would not be able to reconcile, but somehow in a Sarah Rule play, there's just this tenderness. Mm. I love how the husband just like running off, finding a tree. Like he's just running know, off the sky. He's like just, he's so in love, so smitten. Like he's just like mm-hmm. so overcome by all this feel, being in love that he just, <laughs> it's like, could do whatever he wants but then the but it's like the women all having this like shared being able to share something here mm-hmm. um together but and i love how they're on the balcony and throwing things off the balcony that mm-hmm. landon lane's living room too yeah do you so you said every time you read this play mm-hmm. you discover something new about it Um, Do you remember the first time you read the play and how you felt about it then? First time I read it, I didn't think it was funny at all. Oh, really? (laughs) The first time I read it, I was like, this isn't funny. I don't know why everyone keeps saying it's so funny. And um, and I just – I – I thought it was boring too. (laughs) I was like – That's so fascinating. So how old were you? (laughs) Uh, I think I was – like 20, 21. Mm. So, yeah. I was so like 10 I, years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. And so, and I think the reason why maybe I didn't find it funny or um, or interesting at all was that, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I liked the, I don't, I didn't really like at the time, Matilgi, Matilgi. Mm-hmm. Her character, I just like, like, is this is this your main life goal in life? That's all. <laughs> like, you don't want more than just finding a joke. I was just like really <laughs> frustrated. But I was a different, obviously, twenty twenty one. I was like ready to leave college and start my life, and just <laughs> so I was, I'm trying to be ambitious. And I was like, that's it, really. That's all. That's all you need to be happy is to find the good joke, really. <laughs> and now that you're in your thirties. Yeah. Who does sketch comedy? Like, I'm I'm always thinking of the perfect joke. (laughs) Where she's like, um, I think Virginia asks her how old she is, and she says, 
I'm young enough that my skin is still good, but old enough that mm. I'm wondering if my skin is still skin good. Is still and good. Like 27. Oh, 27. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's really funny. You were too young to appreciate that moment when you first yeah. read this play. Yeah. But now you know. Now I know. Because around 27 is when I started wearing face masks. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. I get it, girl. I get it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, all right, so let's move on to our final play for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday. Um, it's, I believe, her most recent play. And this, in the beginning, I have the TCG version, and it was so interesting in the beginning, they kind of framed it as a Midwestern no drama, which is kind of interesting. A play about, and it's a family, it's about a family who loses their father. Um, and it's, I don't even know if it's like, if I would call it a family drama either, cause it didn't, but anyways, we'll get into that, but <laughs> that family who was their father. And then at the second half, uh, it's like a way to cope their grief or something like in the third movement is like, they put up a, a, a Peter Pan play together as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, which was so it's, and it's these five siblings. Five siblings. I think and it's so interesting that we encounter them as numbers in the birth order rather than their names. Yeah. Okay, so I was so curious to hear your thoughts on that. Because... I Well, at first, yeah. when I first started reading, I had to keep going back and checking. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I realized... Okay, all I really need to know, all the information I really am given is that one and five are women and two, three, and four are men. And I stopped mm-hmm. worrying about um, yeah. their names. But yeah. I thought it would be really – I think it would be such a different experience to see it on stage, of course, than to read of it. Of course, yeah. yeah. But um, at it, about halfway through the play, I, I started really paying attention to – you know, the difference, what it means to be, you know, fourth in the birth order versus first and how like the youngest brother would feel differently about his older brothers than say the oldest sister would. And um, Mm. that really colored my sense of the play after that. And so I think if I were to read it again, I would be paying a lot more attention to their relative ages but when I first started reading I was just trying to keep track of okay who's a doctor and who's a liberal (laughs) you know and like um yeah that's so interesting you know I yeah it's so funny that you put it that way because I honestly like in the beginning I was like trying to keep track I was like who's one who's one and then I got really frustrated I was like why do playwrights do this why do you not (laughs) do names and just go by numbers like do this like and then and and what is it? What's some trying to think of a play? The wolves. They mm. kind of do that. And I'm like, if you have like little minor dyslexia, like you're like so frustrated. You're like, I can't keep you, I follow all these numbers. But then as soon as I just like I'm not I'm not gonna even care about the numbers. Like I'm not even gonna care about who's speaking, to be honest. But just and then I I was really folk honed in on just the language, what's being said and what's being talked about. Mm -hmm. And then it felt, then I was like, it feels like I was in 
like a documentary of some kind mm. where I'm just like, like, you know, like I'm just, where I'm just hearing the conversation. Like I'm just, and it, there's, cause there was really, there was, there was no like, you could feel the frustration or you could feel the moments of sadness after the loss. And you could feel, you could understand the kind of the people feeling, but it, it, it felt so like, like a chorus of some kind. Like it's yeah. just, where it, it really kind of, I felt like it didn't really matter of like whose position and what or something. It was just that they were all just sort of communicating and they're like speaking to one another and, um, coping together. It was like all just felt like one big group scene. Um, and then, but then as soon as the, the second half, when it becomes this Peter Penn play, and then it felt like a whole different experience. Yeah. I really, this is a play I really want to see. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, when I was reading the final movement, the Peter Pan one, I found it really difficult to um, switch gears from the previous two scenes into this make-believe scene. I don't know why, but I, I found it difficult to access. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just wanted to see it on stage rather than reading it. Um, but I also have to say, reading this play so soon after my mom died, I was like, mm. I, it, it really hit me in a way that the first two plays didn't. And so I also was aware that I was just experiencing it like at a much deeper, more personal level. And Mm -hmm. so then when they went into the um, Peter Pan movement, I I like wasn't ready. I think I just wasn't ready to engage with that fully or I, I've, felt a little frustrated that they were that we were leaving behind the I think I just really liked watching these siblings talk about their lives and their point of view family yeah and then when mm-hmm. we went into Peter Pan I I like wasn't ready I also have to say I love the part where the father was coming on stage as a ghost and mm-hmm. then like the ghost dog came on stage and mm-hmm. um and they were talking yeah. about politics and then deciding not to talk about politics, but they couldn't help themselves. That all just felt very familiar. And I, it really yeah. felt so different from the other two plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ghost, the father, uh, ghost of the father. That was like an element where, I don't know, I was like, that made me think of like this feels so um like Sarah Rule evolved from her previous plays. Like yeah. something about that, the way she crafted that. Mm-hmm. Um like I, I felt like from the previous plays of um how she could pick one thing and like a very unique thing and kind of crafted throughout the story through the acts and then the something about the father passing away and his ghost mm-hmm. and the way that was all laid out that that was something felt so unique mm-hmm. yeah it does feel so much older somehow mm-hmm. 
And I just got the sense that these were real people that she knew Mm -hmm. at such a personal level. Yeah. Um, Did you read the introduction introduction mm -hmm, in the beginning of the preface? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was so interesting that she um, gave the play to family members to read and Mm -hmm. sort of like help. And I was like, oh man, like, I don't know if I could ever do that. I'm currently writing something that's kind of based on something that happened to me and then my my mom and my it, I mean it's all hypothetical but like it's all imagined but something that happened to me and then maybe indirectly infected my family but like if I had them read this they'll be like oh what is this like no <laughs> get out of here like no Sarah but I think you- maybe they did say this to Sarah Rule <laughs> and then forcing her to like rewrite some scenes and moments Mm -hmm. or maybe she was just like no thank you for your opinion but this is my play yeah (laughs) side note like I remember telling my sister I want to write something that happened to um in our family involved my dad and my sister was like Sarah don't don't dig it up don't take it up just leave it alone don't touch it just leave it alone and then but then it's funny because she always brings it up like every so Mm. much it brings up the story like remember that thing that happened and i was like yeah i do because you mentioned to me like (laughs) that happened but she's like just let it lie like don't just don't touch it don't talk about it we don't need to dig up old very old things in the past but she brings it up. well tough that's what happens when you have a playwright in the family (laughs) i know it's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, they're never gonna watch my plays or read it. Okay, so <laughs> so overall, like all three plays, what like what word would you just encompass all these three plays? Together, quirky. Yeah, all of them quirky. Together? Oh my yeah. gosh, one word. Like, what, like, how would you describe all these three plays? Uh... In one word? Yeah, because people always go to the words quirky or whimsical, and I don't. Um, how about enchanting? Oh, I like that word. <laughs> what word would you use? I would use mischievous. Ooh, there's nothing about it like. I don't know. Yeah. All three plays, something has has this. Like the playwright kind of poking at something and wanting to see how you're going to experience this. And I don't say manipulative, but there's something like that. I just Um, love how at a certain level, all of her plays just feel like people playing make-believe. Like there's something really... Oh, that's beautiful. You know, serious about them, but there's also yeah. something um, playful. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Let's okay. play this game. Yes. Each, each of, if each of these plays had a smell, what would the oh, smell be? I love this game. <laughs> okay. That's because it was your game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I feel like the melancholy one is kind of an obvious one for me, um, but... So it's a roasted almond, right? Okay, but what's the flavor? The flavor to me was wasabi. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
or That's barbecue. Something like something like really like empowering. For way. me, have you ever had a Jordan almond? You know those like um or they could be called sugar almonds. They're like almonds that are that have this kind of candy coating. Oh, uh-huh. Um and they're brightly colored, like Easter yeah. colors. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. For me, that's the smell and oh, the taste. A taste. Huh. So you went one more sweet, and I went more spicy. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Okay. Yeah, I don't Please. think a melancholy is being spicy. I. They were all like in love with her. There was like some <laughs> like hot buttery scenes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you had your mind. It's like. Obviously, you have to. You don't think about like the light in the afternoon and sad cello music and like going away to sea and think. No, I see um, (laughs) Francis and what's her name? What's what's the other girl's the girl Joan? Joan and Tilly all wanting to get get it down like that dinner. (laughs) They, They all want. They all wanted to get it down. Get down. Yeah, but in like a in like a sugared almond kind of way no like hot <laughs> i see my nose is hurting kind of way <laughs> okay let's look at the next one what does the clean house smell like <sighs> okay i don't want to go with the obvious what's the obvious like pine soul yeah pine soul yeah um i'm trying to think I want to say <gasps> bourbon whiskey. Oh. Tell me why. Um, I don't know. Isn't that like what rich people drink? <laughs> <laughs> and it's alcohol. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Some sort of a drink. Like a very – like a, a, um, no, no, like flavoring or anything. Just like straight up, straight drink bourbon whiskey. Hmm. Not even over ice. It's it's what do you call this? Like clean, um, neat. A neat, yeah, single neat <laughs> bourbon whiskey. Okay, I smell. Um, I think like lawn clean laundry, mm. and. I don't know. I just have this sense of like, a, yeah, like a rich people's house with the windows open and it just smells like, I don't know, like, like really potpourri. <laughs> no, because potpourri f- feels very heavy and this feels like a very mm. light linen, like, I don't know, just like a clean, breezy smell. But also a little bit of snow from Alaska from when he goes to get the tree. <laughs> okay. I can see that. Okay, how about Peter Pan? This one's a tough one. Yeah. I think um, maybe a, like, a, like a musty closet. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you said, because the first word that came to my mind was musty, but I was thinking like kind of, it, you know, like 
a ki- the kitchen of a house where people have lived for 50 years and all the mm. smells that have accumulated, like musty kitchen towels and old pot roasts from years past <laughs> and like the dog, you know, and like children's art projects just kind of mm. gathered all these smells layered on top of each other. Yeah. That's cheating because like that. that's a lot of smells rather than one that smell. Is, that is a lot of smells, but I, I see what you're – why? That They've is. all blended together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a very illuminating episode. Shall we go into glistens? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll go into glistens. Um, okay. So I obviously didn't think of one. Um, but so you go first while I think of one. <laughs> okay. So I listened to this show, uh, this episode of Planet Money recently, which is a NPR show. And um, it was about how this guy, Dan Poshman, I think is his name, mm-hmm. um, who has a show called The Sporkful. Um, he spent three years trying to invent a new pasta shape and he was successful. <laughs> He called it cascatelli, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. the Italian word for waterfall. Um, He wanted to combine all the different things he loves in pasta, like ruffles and uh, (laughs) a tube that could hold sauce and um, something that has some heft to it when you chew on it. And uh, I mean, I just have to say, so I was listening to this with my sister and she thought the whole episode was so ridiculous and I loved every second of it um so I don't know maybe it's just one of those things you love or hate but I'm gonna go (laughs) out and get this pasta right away because I enjoyed this episode so much and I saw I googled the the pasta shape and it's like very interesting shape yeah (laughs) I was like but also I I heard I as soon as you texted me, I was like, I listened to it because I was like, this is a pe- this isn't that type of episode. Like, it's food. It's <laughs> entrepreneurial. It's like all the stuff that I really like. Um, and and I was like, when I saw the picture of the, so- the pasta, I was like, this could hold a lot of sauce in one bite. Mm-hmm, like, I was like, mm-hmm. I was the potentials. Like, I think that's the whole idea. Yeah. Um, so very exciting. I So, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the pasta too. Cascatelli. <laughs> All right. So my glisten this week is I can't think of one because I haven't been sleeping. <laughs> so maybe oh. that's my glisten is that I have been waking up around 4 a.m. this last few days, um, not being able to go back to sleep. And and I just feel like, you know, first couple times it happened, I was okay. Like, okay, I you know, coffee is enough to get me through, whatever. But now I'm at that point at the end of the week where – if this happens one more time, I might murder someone. <laughs> like oh. I'm, gonna, I'm like, these are really high people. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting like really antsy. I'm getting like everything is just like, yeah. Like I'm like feeling claustrophobic. I'm like, everyone leave me alone. Um, so maybe I might take a nap today. I think I have. Do to. you want advice or no? Sure. I'll take any okay, advice. Well, I mean, I just love giving advice. So, but I've learned to ask. Um, well, okay. So, one thing I've heard is that if you get morning sunlight, that really helps your body produce melatonin, um, which is like the sleep mm. chemical in your brain. So, even just going outside in the morning 
and putting your face in the sun for 20 minutes um, early mm-hmm. in the day can help your body produce the melatonin it needs to sleep at the end of the day. Because hmm. we have the blinds closed. Are you saying that we should open the blinds? Or even better, just go outside for 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Going outside. That's okay. But yeah, you could open the blinds and just sit in the oh, sunlight yeah. if it's oh, yeah. direct sunlight shining through. Yeah. Oh, now I just remember my other. Oh, actually, something happened to me this week. I did get my first dose of my Woo-hoo! vaccine. Yeah, you yeah. didn't realize you were eligible. And then I was eligible for like three weeks. So but annoying. I'm so, so glad annoying. you got it. Yeah, but um, I got it and it was okay. Like I had a really bad sore arm. Maybe that's why you can't sleep. Do you think so? Maybe your body is like, what have you done to me? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Then I'm like kind of concerned about – I'm worried about the second dose then. Cause just did it like- start after you got the first dose, the insomnia? maybe you might be right yeah that's interesting yeah it was it's just super temporary yeah it's just your immune system being like i have to figure this out oh geez all right well folks this vaccine is gonna give you insomnia (laughs) do you feel invincible now that you cannot get infected with the coronavirus yes and no like when i went for a walk yesterday i was like do I need a mask? And Nick was like, yes, yes, please wear a mask. And I'm like, are you sure you're not saying it because you're jealous? <laughs> like, please wear a mask. Yeah, no, wear a mask. And I was like, all right. But I just, I feel a little less afraid. I'm still kind of afraid, and you know. Yeah. Because I don't have the obvious pull. But I, I feel less, um, like, paranoid, I guess. If that's yeah. So even for that uh, reason, do the vaccine just you're feeling less neurotic about things? Like, yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, that was our episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tell us what you think about um, Sarah Rule plays and what they smell like. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.